0: Snippets of timeless classics with ramblings on everything bookish, Ink and Quill connects you with literature, culture, and writers in China and around the globe.
1: Discovering literature and following the stories behind your favorite authors, this is Ink and Quill. I'm your host, Yang Yong. When people talk about the greatest playwright of all time, the name William Shakespeare, no doubt, pops up on the radar. As one of the brightest stars of English language literature, Shakespeare painted his perceptions of life, society, and humanity with unparalleled theatrical beauty and creativity, which still conform to the world of today. Even some 400 years after the death of the bard, people around the globe still chant his timeless sonnets, proses, and soliloquies.
2: When in disgrace with fortune and men's eyes, I all alone beweep my outcast state.
3: Let me not to the marriage of true minds admit impediments. Love is not love, which alters when it alteration
4: finds.
1: However, even though Shakespeare has been held as the national symbol for English poetry, it is Italy that had a special hold on his heart. Among the 38 plays he produced, 13 of them are based wholly or partially on the Italian peninsula. But in an age when travelling from Britain to continental Europe could have been risky and costly, we can't help but wonder, did the Bard really travel or not? And where did his fascination with the Mediterranean region come from? To find out the answers, in today's programme, let's go to a book, The Shakespeare Guide to Italy, Retracing the Bard's Unknown Travels. (music) For the
5: past 400 years, no one would question that Shakespeare was indeed a masterful and erudite artist. From the immortal tragic Hamlet set in Denmark, to the story between Roman General Mark Antony and ancient Egypt's Queen Cleopatra, his works transcend the boundaries of time and space.
0: To be, or not to be, that is the question.
5: But if you take a closer look, you will find that nearly one third of Shakespeare's plays are set in Italy. This beautiful Mediterranean country appears in many of his well known works, such as The Merchant of Venice, A Midsummer Night's Dream, and Romeo and Juliet.
4: Dear Juliet, why art
2: thou yet so fair? Shall I believe that unsubstantial death is amorous? keeps the here and dark to be his paramour
5: however many scholars claim that shakespeare never left england some even argue that someone else wrote these masterpieces in order to refute these claims, the late American attorney Richard Poirot undertook a lifelong study on these plays, spending two decades traveling around the Italian peninsula. His literary surgeon finally produced a book, The Shakespeare Guide to Italy, Retracing the Bard's Unknown Travels. From the sinkhole trees that Romeo's friend mentions in the first act to the penthouse where the Venetian merchant Sherlock lives, the author meticulously investigated the exact locations of nearly every scene from the place set in Italy. The book explores the historical, political and cultural backgrounds of certain sites as well. The meticulous examination of Shakespeare's work exhibited by Rowe shocked the Chinese translator of the book Wei Chun Xiao. As a PhD student specializing in English literature and Renaissance studies, we says he has learned a lot from Rowe's writing.
2: The author read the texts of Shakespearean plays in an extremely careful manner. I have read through the plays of Shakespeare two or three times, but when I translated this book, I realized that in many facts the author mentioned are things that I didn't notice at all.
5: Inside the book, Shakespeare's plays are used at the maps and guides to unlock puzzles. Choosing Verona as his first stop, Row leads readers through the streets and lanes of the city to trace the steps of Romeo and Juliet. After reading the book, you will understand why the airy spirit Ariel sings yellow sands instead of white or black sands in The Tempest, or why the wealthy moneylender Sherlock lives in Venice, the city of water. Just like a thrilling detective story, the numerous textual or geographic pieces of evidence in the book demonstrate that all the Italian plays of Shakespeare reflect the reality of those locations. But Wei says that Rose's book can be read on different levels.
2: Aside from being a detective story, the book is an academic treatise. Although the writing style is not very academic, the annotations meet academic standards. In terms of the content of the book, it is quite scientific and rigorous. Every sentence is written based on certain evidence and resources.
5: However, the Shakespeare Guide to Italy is not a boring research publication. With over 100 photos, paintings, and hand drawn maps, the book is entertaining and enlightening enough to serve as a knowledgeable travel companion. Instead of depicting well known tourist spots, the author presented a much more stereoscopic Italy.
1: Herfei introducing us to the book. The Shakespeare Guide to Italy, Retracing the Bard's Unknown Travels. An insightful baedeker into the Bard's Italian place, this book may appeal to Shakespearean enthusiasts or those who are just interested in travel.
0: Bestseller, smash hit, page-turner. Ink and Quill delves into the very heart of the works that make us laugh, cry and sigh.
1: Welcome back. You are listening to Ink and Quill with Yang Yong. If life is a blank canvas, then it is people's respective lifestyles, sentiments and personal interests making it into a masterpiece. Today, we have numerous approaches to celebrate and enrich our lives. But what about those who lived hundreds or even thousands of years ago? Let's go to Liu Xiangwei to find out.
3: Written in the 18th century, A Dream of Red Mansions, or commonly known as Hong Long in Chinese, is hailed as the most consummate writing among China's four great classical novels. Featuring the rise and decadence of a powerful family, this semi autobiography enamors generations by its bone deep exploration on characters and emotion evoking tragic ending. But in the eyes of the columnist Meng Hui, a die-hard lover for material culture, there are many aspects of the novel that have been overlooked.
6: A Dream of Red Mansions" is remarkable in terms of its description on surroundings and household items. For example, the glassworks mentioned in the book are the most interesting things. If you understand certain knowledge of glass, you will know the implied messages of the text. At that time, there was no transparent flat window panes in China, and it was really demanding for importing those panes from Europe. But in Yi Hong Yard, where the protagonist Jia Baoyu lived,
3: window panes had been installed. So in her well-received essay collection, the hairstyle of Pan Jinlian, or in Chinese, Pan Jinlian's hairstyle. Meng extensively explores the transitions and connotations of many cultural norms in ancient times, from the different deployments of the Chinese knot, the origin of Changshan side slit, to the ravishing makeups women applied. She reveals how our ancestors captured the spice of life and lived in an elegant and tasteful way. Steeping themselves into the pages, readers might be surprised by how their perception of the past has been overturned. For example, the hairstyle of the famous femme fatale Pan Jin Lian is not alluring at all. Rather than applying perfume to skin, ancient Chinese preferred to use this fragrant liquid as a raw material for incense and even drink it as a health beverage while the earliest ice cream, which is generally believed to be introduced to Europe by the explorer Marco Polo in the 13th century, had actually been widely devoured by foodies during the Tang Dynasty. The author says people tend to stereotype the history, which is something we should be vigilant of.
6: The Song dynasty is usually recognized as the beginning of the feudal age in China, and women were always believed to have suffered from their low social status. Therefore, many assumed that the women's clothing of that period were just some loose robes with long sleeves. But based on the survived paintings and archaeological discoveries, Baudis was commonly used as outwear. That proves why it is crucial for people to think about the history based on facts rather than prejudice.
3: Scrupulously faithful to the original texts of historical records, chronicles and process, the hairstyle of Pan Jinlian is no doubt a rigorous textual research of those long gone days. And yet, written in a sometimes poetic style, the book is imbued with a warm and devoted appreciation towards the marvelous and awe inspiring Chinese culture. Though, from the scented metal ball hidden in people's sleeves to the golden foil once attached on the cheek of a fair lady, these tokens of ancient refinement have been wiped out through the time. Meng Hui stresses that she has no intention to exaggerate a sense of sorrow.
6: I think I'm a hard-headed person, so it is useless to be sentimental. But I do feel regretful. By the 19th century, the rapid race of the Western world exerted great pressure on other civilizations. Under that circumstances, China decisively embraced modernization. But at the same time, we lost many things that should not be
1: abandoned. That was Shang Wei introducing us to the book The Hairstyle of Pan Jinglian or in Chinese Pan Jin Lian de Fa Xing, which gives us a glimpse into the temperaments and daily lives of ancient Chinese people. Well, if you still crave more books about history, don't go away. After this short break, we'll take you back to the 15th century, the era of the Tudors when a frothy mix of assassination, betrayal and lust permeated in the Royal Court of England.
0: Snippets of timeless classics with ramblings on everything bookish, Ink and Quill connects you with literature, culture and writers in China and around the globe.
1: You are listening to Ink and Quill. I'm your host, Yang Yong. British writer Liam Garfield once said, The historian, if honest, gives us a photograph, the storyteller gives us a painting. For many world smith, writing historical fiction is a big challenge since the facts of old days must be retold and relieved while still appealing to readers of today. But British bestseller Hilary Mantel is pretty at ease since her Tudor saga helped to snap up the Man Booker Prize twice. But how does a book about medieval England all readers worldwide? Let's follow Xiong Siqi for more.
7: Tudor, Tudor, Tudor. There's no other period in British history that could evoke such relish than the Tudor dynasty. From the infamous wife-killer Henry VIII to the Virgin Queen Elizabeth I, many have been obsessed with the complicated power struggle, intrigue, and love affairs during that blood-soaked era. Among all these medieval dramas, the entanglements of Henry VIII with his six wives have always been stories worthy of tabloids. For centuries, playwrights, fictionists, and filmmakers have portrayed the king as a virile, philandering, and temperamental bluebeard, as the 16th century monarch beheaded two and divorced two of his many wives.
4: As far as I'm concerned, our marriage is at an end.
7: I want her finished. However, in Hilary Mantel's Tudor saga Wolf Hall and its sequel, bring up the bodies. The Eurofocus focus on sensuality and dysfunctional royal family in literature is dismissed. Here is Song Ling, editor of the Chinese versions of the books.
6: These fictions are pretty serious. You cannot find excessive interpretation here, since they are written based on reliable and solid research on history. The stories are not made of fantasies. But
7: the writer doesn't burden her readers with lengthy and tedious research. Stripping away the cobwebs and varnish of history, Mantell describes major shifts of the Tudor age through the viewpoints of Thomas Cromwell, a usual marginal figure in the literary world. As the chief minister of the King, he helped Henry get rid of his first wife, expelled papal authority in England, and plotted the murder of the saintly Thomas More. According to Song Ling, traditionally Cromwell is regarded as a villain and a sham, but Mantel upends his image as a charmer, mastermind, and family man.
6: On the one hand, Mantel's Cromwell is a useless man who masters political skills. On the other hand, he's sensitive and loving to his families. So she enriches the image of this character. When you observe this period of history through the eyes of Cromwell, you may feel like seeing the world through a camera on his shoulder.
7: As its prequel, Wolf Hall ends up with a king breaking away from the Vatican and is married to Anne Boleyn. Bring up the body starts in the fall of 1535 when Henry gets disenchanted with Anne, who fails to provide him a male heir. Compared with the first volume that spans more than 30 years of Cromwell's life, the latest installment occupies only 9 months and speeds up over the last 3 weeks of Anne Boleyn when she was arrested and executed for treason and adultery. Without wasted word or rhetoric, Mantel shapes this medieval thriller with shorter and touter plot. Though many may not be strangers to this significant episode of England's history, the alive and silvery scenes and alert authentic dialogues of the fiction appear to drag us a whisper close to the bloody theatre of Anne Boleyn's last days. Immersing into the sensory language of Mantel and following the astute mind of Cromwell, readers could vividly experience the carefully crafted entrapment, the volatile nature of Henry and also the chilling suspense and pathos for Anne. As the editor for the Chinese version of the book, Song Ling emphasized that although many have already penned down this historical shift, Mantel's written style is utterly something of its own.
6: Taking Shakespeare's Henry VIII, for example, the timeline of the play proceeds really fast. The whole plot is connected to the trials of several major characters, but Mantel took great time to depict the details, which will require great patience from her readers. Meanwhile, compared with other historical novels written in past tense, this book is carried out in present tense, which could close the distance between readers and the history. Here is a scene from the
7: book between Henry VIII and Cromwell after the king's wedding with the third queen in a row.
2: Henry is quiet and more melancholy that day than any bridegroom ought to be. He's not thinking about his last queen. She's ten days dead and he never speaks of her, but he says, Crom, I don't know if I will have any children now. I have wasted my best years. I don't know where they have gone. The king feels he has been cheated for his fate. When my brother Arthur died, my father's astrologer predicted that I should enjoy a prosperous reign and father many sons. You are prosperous at least, Cromwell thinks, and if you stick with me, richer than you can ever have imagined. Somewhere, Thomas Cromwell was in your chart.
7: At the end of the story, Thomas Cromwell seems to work up his way to the height of his power, but the author doesn't hype his excitement and joy. Instead, she conjures up an atmosphere of uncertainty, since the word, however, is like a nymph coiled beneath your chair. Held as one of the greatest achievements of modern literature, Bring Up the Bodies and its prequel Wolf Hall helped this creator become the first woman and first British author to win Man Booker Prize more than once. Published in China, *Is Bring Up the Bodies going to attract local readers or not. Lu Jian the head of the Institute of Literature at the Chinese Academy of Social Science, gives his answer.
2: England of the 16th century seems to be distant, but on second thought you will find some similarities.
0: Explore the life of great wordsmiths. Share their stories beyond the pages. Ink and Quill brings you the voices of writers and book lovers.
1: In 2014, the historical drama The Imitation Game hit theatres worldwide. Featuring the story of British cryptanalyst Alan Turing, the film unfolds a portion of this shadowing profession. But Chinese writer Mai Jia is not stingy when it comes to disclosing more about those mysterious codebreakers. Dubbed as China's Dan Brown, he is widely perceived as the father of spy thrillers in the country. In today's episode, Doris Wong will recommend to you Mai Jia's highly acclaimed work, Decoded, or in Chinese, jie
8: Admitted people, we all love James Bond more or less. Even though he is a deadly assassin and sexist, we still get hysterical when 007 in a Savile Row Tuxedo nimbly threads through a hail of bullets and flirts shamelessly with the ladies. That probably explains why Ian Fleming's collections and Jason Bourne series are still the most sought-after spy thrillers. But Chinese bestseller Decoded, or widely known as DME, may not be your typical spy story. Or at least, its hero is not conventional. Author Mai Jia elaborates. The protagonist of my
4: book, Decoded, is actually a man like Edmund Snowden. But they are two sides of the same coin. One betrays his country, while another safeguards his nation to an extent where he is willing to sacrifice himself. However, the nature of their jobs is the same. Both of them secretly eavesdrop on other people or hostile nations.
8: Set in southern China in the 19th century, the story begins with the odyssey of the Rong family, who made a fortune by selling salt. But their fate gradually changed after a young man was sent to the Western world to learn how to read dreams. But instead of becoming a dream interpreter, he turned out to be a mathematician. Over the years, though the fortune of the house declined, interest in mathematics grew in the family. But Decoded is not a lengthy chronicle of genealogy. After poetically and dreamily going back five generations, the novel settles on Rong Jinzhen, a math genius who follows the career path of espionage and cryptography in the post-war China. Mai Jia says many of his inspirations came from his previous experience working in intelligence.
4: I didn't stay there long. I had access to only one office, and my mentor even warned me not to talk with others. So I didn't know people walking next door or those passerby. But what did they do? What happened to them? Where did they come from? They always occupy a place in my mind. The world of today is so noisy and chaotic. If I had never worked there, it would be unthinkable that there is a group of people leading such a simple life. They are people equipped with faith and ideal.
8: The protagonist, Rong Jinzhen, is such a man. Born as an illegitimate orphan, he is an eccentric being, a half-autistic soul, and yet a self-taught genius. In college, he met a Jewish mathematician, Jan Lesovitz, who later becomes his mentor and future archenemy. Although Lesovitz encourages Ron to pursue a career in artificial intelligence, the boy is accidentally recruited by an impenetrable intelligence officer, and then drawn into a world shrouded by secrecy and arcane codes. Obsessive as Granue from Patrick Suskin's perfume, while brilliant as the legendary mathematician John Nash, Roan effortlessly cracks purple, a code that is reputedly unbreakable. However, his infatuation towards its companion cryptogram, black grows so strong and intense that it drives him into madness. When asked why he arranged such an ending for his protagonist, Mai Jia explains.
4: I'm a pessimist. Most of my characters, no matter how glorious their life once was, eventually they always end up in the grave or bedlam. It's a problem about my writing. But at the same time, I think it reflects a universal truth. Philosophically speaking, a genius is doomed to go through turbulence.
8: Weaving fiction with real people and historical events, Decoded appears to be obscure and confusing at first glance. But coming up to the second half of the book, avid readers will realize that the whole story is actually a documentary narrated by a reporter and key witnesses. But none of them succeeded in reconstructing Rong Jin-chung's tale. At the end of the novel, the reporter finds Ron's journal, which reveals the man who is as esoteric as the enigma he cracks.
4: Secret service and spy are just the outer wear and tool for my story. What I really want to present is the depth of human mind and how humanity could be twisted, changed, or alienated under the system.
1: On that note, it's time to wrap up today's program. To learn more about us, you can follow our Facebook account, China Plus, or simply download the podcast by searching the keyword Ink and Quill on iTunes. Thank you for tuning in. I'm Yang Yong. See you next time.